You can send all the web traffic in the world to your website, but if you don't get the words right, then no one will listen. Download my free guide on how to write web copy that converts at privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash guide. That's privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash guide. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. I am here today with Alicia Barant from Healthy Minds Therapy in Northern Virginia. She is the owner and therapist of that practice. Um, so we're trying something a little bit different today. Um, we are going to be doing uh, essentially a live coaching session today with Alicia. So I I had kind of put put out the call for. Um, uh, for this episode and, and kind of gauging the interests of uh, different therapists and different listeners and also trying to um, to find a therapist who might be a good fit to to come on the show today and and talk about where they're getting stuck. So uh, new format, new um, kind of opportunity for listeners as well. And um, hopefully we will be able to do some, uh, some problem solving today with Alicia. So Alicia, welcome to this show. And how's it going today? Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited um, for this opportunity. Things are going really well. It's a sunny, beautiful day here. Um, I'm just outside Washington, D.C. So nice. uh, things are going well. So uh, are you from uh, Virginia or the D.C. area? I am, and I noticed your 540 number, so I think yeah. you might be as well. Yeah, I'm from a place called Roanoke, Virginia. It's basically southwest um, yes, I'm a Hokie, so I okay. went to Virginia Tech. Well, there you go. So we've yeah. got some uh, commonalities already. Yeah, it's, yes. a, it's a small world, and it's a really nice part of the country as well. Yes. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Roanoke. Very cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice, it's a nice little place. It's uh, it's becoming a bit more hip and more cool to to live there. Um, I think in part because it's affordable, it's kind of nestled in the mountains and uh, very family friendly. So for like a lot of younger people who are starting to have a family, uh, a lot of people seem to be going back to Roanoke. Um, yeah. It's just a beautiful part of the country too. The Blue Ridge Mountains are just spectacular if if you haven't been. And we've got, we have people listening from all over the country and then all over the world. So some people are literally in Asia or uh, like all over Europe. So they're yeah. probably like, what the heck is Roanoke and why should I care? But uh, it's a great, great part of the country. <laughs> it is. It's a great, and the fall is a great time to visit. So yeah. coming up, you can make your plans now. Yeah, there you go. There's our, there's our plug. This is not, this podcast <laughs> is not sponsored by Virginia. We promise, no. but we like it a lot. Um, so let's dive in. So I, I want to hear a little bit from you about, um, your practice. Give us kind of a little bit of background, um, about your sure. business in general and, um, and, and we'll go from there. Sure. So I think I can bring a little bit of a unique situation, um, I started Healthy Minds Therapy actually not even one year ago. Um, we will have our one-year anniversary on June 28th. That's when I saw my first patient as a solo practitioner. Um, I left a group practice after having my son and decided uh, that I wanted – I just had this big dream. I wanted to have a group practice. So I went solo 
And within six months, um, I was full. Um, it was a lot of like pounding the pavement and building relationships. Um, actually I, a lot of, uh, great information from Joe Sanak, which I know, you know him as well. Um, and an opportunity came my way from a friend in high school. He's a business broker and he approached me at his son's birthday party and said that there was a psychotherapy group practice for sale and would I be interested? And I immediately said, no, like, no, I just started my own practice. I finally feel like I'm full, you know, things are good. Like I'm just cruising along now. No way. Don't want to buy a business. Um, but of course I kind of planted a seed in my husband's ear. Um, and he started to think about it. And I guess unbeknownst to me kept having conversations with my friend, um, came back to me and said, Alicia, why don't we look into this a little bit more? I think it could maybe, um, expedite things for you with your career. Uh, so long story short, we did. We looked into it. Um, and uh, January 29th of this year, 2018, I uh, took ownership of a, of a good-sized group practice mm-hmm. here in Northern How many people Virginia. do you have? Um, so we – well, that's a great question. I should know that because I just recently <laughs> hired some more people. So it's okay. I, think I know the at, number like, changes every now It does and change. So I think we're up to like 14 yeah. now. Great. Um, Can you shed a little more light on what the purchasing process was like? I mean, you don't have to go into great detail, but I think some people are thinking, um, yeah. and maybe this was part of your reaction, was, wow, that sounds like a lot of money or it sounds like a big a big risk. Um, what was the purchasing process like and how, when? It, it, what made it doable? So all of those things are true. It's a big financial commitment and it's a big risk, but I'm a bit of a risk taker. Um and I grew up in an entrepreneur household. My dad uh, is a business owner, was a business owner. Um, and I always wanted to emulate him. I loved what he was doing for the community. I loved how he treated his staff and employees. And I just, I always knew I wanted to own a business, but I didn't really know what kind of business until, uh, you know, I was in college and decided I wanted to do counseling. Um, so the financial commitment is, is big. Um, so I had to get support in that way. Um, so I have an investor started with purchasing this Mm -hmm. business. Um, so that's one way there's lots of options. So I did, I've learned so much about purchasing a business. So you can, there are tons of, uh, loans out there, particularly for women, uh, business owners, um, that you can apply for. You can do that route. Um, investors, you can you can do a seller finance. So this, and actually, I'm that's kind of part of what I did too. The seller was willing to finance some of it for me. Um, so there's lots of options that made it, you know, doable for me. And I think that's the important part, right, is that there are options. So I think it's becoming slightly more common for therapists to buy and sell a practice. Um, but there were, there were multiple ways to do it, right? And it didn't have to be, um, you don't have to be just stuck in one particular way. And there's ways to, to kind of mitigate some of that risk. Um, 
So yes. And I mean, I would say like, you have to do your due diligence and your homework and, and work with a, a savvy broker that's done work in the medical field, like selling medical practices. So my broker, that's his experience is he had sold several, uh, maybe not necessarily like psychotherapy Mm -hmm. practices, but medical offices. Um, so I was confident with him and he was a friend from high school too. So he was extremely knowledgeable in the process Mm -hmm. and I just kind of trusted him. Um, but like have a good lawyer, have a good accountant, look yeah. at all the numbers. Yeah, <laughs> like, have, have all the right people involved. Uh, that's, yeah. that's also going to help mitigate your own anxiety of going through something so big. So th- one yeah. of the interesting parts of your situation is this transformation uh, very quickly from solo practitioner to, I would say, you're in this kind of large group practice owner category. Um versus growing really small or really slow and steady. So um, that, you, you know, that's a big shift to make in a short period of time. And I, and I want to talk about that part a little bit today, the identity piece. Um, yes. But I want to rewind even further. And I want to basically treat this as if you and I had been doing coaching for a while. So, and, and this is in part so we can show people what the format is like um, when when folks are coaching with me. So, if you and I were just hopping into a session, let's say we've been meeting for a little while, then the first thing that I'm going to ask you uh, right off the bat is, what are your wins? So, your wins between basically okay. now and the last time I saw you or talked to you. Uh, and the reason is... Um, so I used to work at uh, a, a nonprofit in San Francisco, and there were there was always something going wrong. We were working uh, with some in some really difficult situations, and I remember remember the the director would tell us every single week um, that whatever you focus on grows and gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. when we focus when we focus uh, too much on all of the problems and the stressors of the business, those feel really big and they take up more space. Um, and, and I think being a business owner, there's, there are fewer opportunities to really be recognized for the good work that you've done or the strides you've made or um, the things that have gone well, because we're always looking at um, kind of the next fire to put out. So I find that that, that also really helps solidify for therapists, um, you know, kind of reap some of the rewards of the work that they've done and to acknowledge for themselves um, what has gone well. So let's let's start there. Can you think of a couple wins from the past few weeks? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, have you like planted a bug in my house? Because um, it's exactly what I need is to celebrate some of those wins. Because I was just thinking that this process being a business owner is a bit isolating at times. Because um, you do feel like it's, I don't know, like I'm like a one man show sometimes with making decisions. And, um, even though I have a wonderful team of people and we do work collaboratively and, you know, I, I'm not alone. Sometimes it does feel a little bit lonely. Well, you're alone uh, in that you are, um, at the top of the pyramid for your practice and, and structurally and in leadership, um, you're at the top. So just like you have your staff who can not only, um, group together and have that, that, experience of universality and shared struggle, much like we do at any sort of company. Um, Part of what we have to do at your level is you have to find, you have to create that. Um, There has to be someone who's either above you or kind of parallel with you in your life. And this doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to have someone at your team be kind of your equal, but having people like 
coach, consultant, mentor, mastermind group, other people um, who you can rely on to get the same kind of support that your staff gets is so critical. And especially at this stage of the game, because because number one, it's a quick transition for you and there's a tremendous amount of growing pains with group practice ownership in particular and you're you're going through them in yeah. kind of an acute uh, manner. So Yeah, in less uh, than a less than yeah. a year. Um so some wins uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, well, so this was pretty cool. So I'm not I know enough about technology and I feel like I keep up with what's going on. Um, I just figured out, this is actually kind of a funny story too. I just figured out how to send mass email to all of our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, so Dr. Amy Parks, which you might know her as well. Um, she and I live in the same area. So we had, we actually had coffee yesterday. Perfect. Um, she, introduced me to Entreport because I was asking her, how do you send out like your newsletters and how do you do mass communication with your patients and all of that? So she told me about Entreport and I needed to get a message out to all of our clients. So I met with them and had a training online and, you know, they go kind of fast and they're like, you got it. You think you can do the email and send it out? I'm like, sure. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, so they're like, you know, gave me the homework to do that. And I did, I figured out how to import the contacts and I put together the little news, like it wasn't a newsletter, but I needed to essentially tell them about the cancellation policy, which wasn't new. I was just reminding them that we're, you know, we're going to continue to implement it. And here's a friendly reminder. Um, and so I did, I sent it out. So that's my win was I figured out how to do it. It went out. But the funny part was I was trying to have like a play on words and be a little bit playful in the title of the email that went out. So the title said, so what's this $50 fee question mark missed appointment and late cancellation policy. And then you had to click on it to read it. Well, I guess people didn't really read the whole thing and they just saw the, so what's this $50 fee within 10 minutes of me blasting that out to over like 400 people, my inbox was like, ding, 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 ding. Like saying, uh, Alicia, Miss Baran, Alicia, I never missed an appointment. What is this? Why am I being charged? Right, right. So that was a huge learning lesson for me that I really need to be mindful of who my audience is and what's the message I'm trying to deliver and all of that. So that was kind yeah. of, I ended up laughing, but it was a bit stressful. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely a win in that you now have an email marketing platform. Um, so that's fantastic. You yeah. definitely need that that medium for um, uh, for being able to communicate on a large scale with um, current, past, and p- prospective clients for the practice. So um, it, it's it's great that you have that under your belt now, and you've gotten you know gotten the first message out of the way. And I think there is a process of people getting used to hearing from you or getting used to uh, receiving emails like this. Um, and so, and, and now it'll become about how do you want to use Entreport? How do you want to use email marketing moving forward? Um, we can we can definitely talk about that. But again, I think it's great that um, that you have that that part in place now, getting people used to hearing from you. Um, yeah. And and the the way that you'll want to 
make sure you're keeping people on that email list is to start offering them something of true value, right? So an easy way to structure your newsletter, if you want to make this, let's say a monthly thing, which I I recommend you do um, for practice your size, is to have basically two parts. The first part can be administrative updates like this, or we just hired our new clinician, Stephanie. She's great with children. Check out Stephanie's profile here. And the, the second section can simply be here's a piece of content or here are three things you can do this summer when your kids are out of school um, or some, mm-hmm. something like that, some sort of mm-hmm. um, real value that you can offer that's going to incentivize people to stay on your email list and not unsubscribe. Um, so your, your purpose is for you know, e- email marketing moving forward can be kind of twofold. And then over time, I think people get used to hearing from you and they, they kind of decide for themselves, do I want to stay on this list or is this not something I want to, um, to opt into. Um, yeah, that was, that was exactly it. Like what you said is they had never heard from me before. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I'm sending yeah. them this like cancellation thing. Yeah. So that's my husband pointed out the same thing. He said, have you ever emailed all these people before? Like, Yeah, that never crossed my mind. So I'm learning, you know, and yeah. I'm totally open to feedback. So well, in, in an easy way to, um, you know, mitigate that factor moving forward is when people subscribe to the email list or get added, um, you can set up an automated first email or a welcome email that goes out and just says, Hey, welcome to the healthy minds therapy, um, newsletter. You're going to be getting some updates. Um, we're also going to give you great tips on, you know, boosting your mental health. Here's a button to opt out. And that way people are primed to understand like what's coming next. Um, and less likely to be like, what, what is this? And why are you showing up in my inbox all of a sudden? Right. Um, yes. No, I definitely learned my lesson yeah. from that. But that's great. That's a win. And also you've gotten through the learning curve of learning on support, figuring out how to compose a message, how to send it. And then you've got all these responses that then you've got to figure out what to do with. So, um, so our first section again of, of any coaching session is wins. We want to identify what's going well, what you, what you've accomplished in the past few weeks and make sure that we really acknowledge that. Um, this, the second, um, two parts of a coaching session are then we go into, okay, so what are your challenges? In other words, where are you getting stuck? And then the third part that kind of wraps things up is what are your action steps? So what are the things that you and I can agree that you will do between now and the next time I see you? Um, and also for, for what it's worth. So I'm going to be taking some pretty aggressive notes for you so that you can just sit back, think out loud, really identify where you're getting stuck and not feel like you need to be making all these notes. Um, so that's, that's one thing that you can, you you know, you can kind of trust that the action steps, the important part, the most important parts of this entire session are going to be hand delivered to you. And so it's going to be abundantly clear after today, what are the three, four, maybe five at very, very most things that you should do between now and, and next time. Um, so I think this is a big part of where clinicians get stuck is out of the thousand things they could do next or this week to move the needle forward in their business. What should I do next? And so that yes. our risk is constantly, um, that we could spend our time in the wrong places or spend our time in places that are really low impact or that really we should be outsourcing or having your admin doing for you or whatever it may be. So for instance, responding to all those emails from, from Entreport would be a perfect example of something I wouldn't want you doing as a business owner. I would want your 
admin assistant responding to those emails. Um, that'd be yeah, one, that, one example. That's, I mean, that's all I, I'm still trying to f- navigate all of that and figure out like what role, you know, the line is so blurred. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know where my role is right now because okay. I still do see um, patients, mm-hmm. but I'm also, you know, the owner now. Yeah. Um, so, and I also like a little bit of control. So learning okay. where can I let go of things and where to delegate and, um, you know, so yeah, all of that, I, you know, I need help with all of that. What would you say are your biggest, um, kind of pain points right now? And, and, um, which ones do you want to address with me today? As far as like running them in practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of where you're getting stuck, what you feel like you need the most help with. Um, it's usually just, um, I don't know. There's nothing. I think it just comes down to like me just needing to make decisions about where to go next in terms of scaling the practice. Um, so we've done, we've had a lot of growth. I've, there's four, I have one resident starting. Um, and then we have three new therapists starting. So we're full. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we need to necessarily grow anymore, but it's just, um, I guess the biggest hurdle for me is, I don't know, I guess this, here's one thing I would need help with. Do I continue to take on more patients myself? Because if I look at my schedule, I guess I technically could, or should I start to scale back on how many like clinical hours I do and take on more role of like the, the business owner? Okay. Great question and a very universal question for group practice owners. And I think, first of all, the range is quite broad. I know group practice owners that see zero clients a week. I know some that see 30 clients a week. Um, Part of it does depend on your scale. It depends on how many clinicians you have, which in your case, again, you're in that large category. So um, how many are you seeing right now per week? Um, It's about like eight to 10 a week. Okay. If you had said 18, which I thought you were going to say, um, mm. I might have said that's a problem. <laughs> because yeah. again, at, with a business of, of your size, um, if most of your time were going directly to your clinical hours, um, it leaves very little time and kind of mental space to think about the business and really um, be the business owner. So um, so you're at 8 to 10 right now, and the question is, you could add more. Certainly, you have room to add more, um, but what would suffer as a result of taking on more clients? What do you think? Yeah, I think what would suffer is probably like, my self care. Um, so like first and foremost, I'm a wife and a mom. Um, so my family will always come first. Um, and I really do try hard to keep the boundaries. Like when I'm home with my son, not being on my phone, not being on my computer, not answering emails. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like having dedicated time with my husband. And, um, so I think that would probably suffer first because I would be, in the office, mm-hmm. like doing sessions. Um, so, so how many hours a week do you, do you want to work? Um, like all together. Mm-hmm. Ideally, 
like 30 hours a week would be great. Okay. So let's say you're working 30 hours and let's say 10 of those are clinical hours. That leaves you with 20 hours to work on the business. Does that sound like enough time to work on the business each week? I think so. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, if that's the case, then my advice is to not take on more clients, to, to max yourself out at 10 at most. I think even closer to eight is probably more appropriate for a, a practice of your size. Yeah, okay. Um, the, and the reasoning is, as a group practice owner, you have to constantly ask yourself, what are the tasks that only I can do as a business owner versus what are the tasks that other people can do as well? Um, and that, and you have to start drawing that line for yourself, right? You, you have to identify what are the most, what are the highest impact things you can do for the business. And so seeing clients would be on the lower end of that, right? Yes, it, it's good for you. Yes, it's good to keep those clinical skills sharp. Um, at the same, yes, it generates revenue, right? At the same time, um, your clinicians are generating quite a bit of revenue um, and keeping them full and happy and organized and keeping the whole system running smoothly is 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 a bigger part of your job description. And that, and again, that's a shift from being a solo practitioner where maybe you're seeing 20 clients a week and working on the business a little bit, you know, a couple hours a week here and there. So it, it is a major shift for you. Um, yeah. The the second part is how do you decide what to do next? In other words, how do you manage yourself? And when you finish those clinical hours or you've got time where you're in the office, how do you know what to focus on? Well, that's where I'm struggling too, because I have so many ideas. I get inspired by people all the time, just uh-huh. by like listening to podcasts and going on Facebook and, um, I just, you know, I'm always inspired by people and relationships and, um, like I'm in a a family of entrepreneurs, like my brother-in-law, he's a local business owner and he's always doing stuff in the community. So I'm like, Oh, we could be doing that. And so my, my list in my iPhone of like what, um, HMT could be doing is Mm -hmm. like never ending. So I think that's when I like get, how do you decide what to do from that list? Yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm saying is I don't know. It's like information overload and then I get stuck. So two, two things. Yeah. Information overloaded. I call it being bloated with information. This happens a lot and a lot with therapists. The good news about today is there's more information available to you than ever about business building, entrepreneurship, marketing, digital marketing, right? There's a Facebook group for everything. And so the risk that we have, and that I should say that you have, is 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 it taking in more information than you can actually implement. And the result right. is we become bloated with information. So it, you know, I think in your position, it might be actually in your best interest to basically go on kind of like an information fast, because I think what what's happening now is you probably have more information than you can actually implement, and you you get your default is to go back to kind of the visioning and the ideas and making that list even longer and, you know, seeing how great things could be or how great this idea could be, how great that idea could be Um, versus really focusing in again on, on the highest impact things you can do for your business right now. Um, So, 
you know, probably a combination of, of having too much information and maybe a little dose of shiny object syndrome, meaning <laughs> there's all, out of yeah. all the things I could do, I'm very tempted to kind of do all of them. And as a result, sometimes we end up just kind of doing none of them. We end up just kind of putting out fires during the day or just sitting there and checking email, checking Facebook. Um, and we're just kind of keeping things running, but not necessarily doing high impact activities for the business. So, um, one one thing that I would have you do, and we could kind of start doing this today, but um, I just want to introduce the idea to you. Yeah, again, your your success as a practice owner, a group practice owner especially, has a lot to do with your ability to manage yourself, um, becoming your own manager. So this is um, this is a Kelly Higdon exercise. I don't know where she got it, but I use it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the four quadrants exercise. Have you ever heard of this or done something like this? Uh- I mean, I know, I know who Kelly Higdon is. I don't know if okay. I've heard her talk about this. So the um, the exercise is simple, but I can tell you it is very impactful. I'm sitting here in my office, um, and to the left of me is my own four-quadrant board that has um, different quadrants, um, all for, for my different businesses. They're all on the same board. But basically what you're going to do, and if you're doing this um, while you're listening, is you're going to take either a piece of paper or a Word document or something like that, and you're going to draw basically four, you're going to have four quadrants in a, in a larger square, so four small squares. Okay. In the top left, you're going to write down five years. In the top right, it's one year. Bottom left, next one to three months. And then bottom right is this week. Um, so the reason why we do this is because you can essentially reverse engineer your goals um, and figure out, first of all, where do you want to, um, where are we heading? What is the point in the distance? And from that, we work our way backwards to figure out what do you need to do this week um, to, to stay on the right track, right? To actually advance your position in your business. So um, within that five-year section, you might have goals that are both um, personal, like maybe one might be spend more time with my family or take you know, a month off every summer or something like that. You might also have financial goals or even other numbers for your clinicians, like the number of clinicians you want to have or the total sessions per week, something like that. Obviously, the more concrete, the better. Um, and then your one-year section is uh, is similar to the five years, but a little bit more immediate. It's, you know, where do you want to be a year from now? The bottom two is really, this is where the, the rubber hits the road. Um, and so from the next one to three months quadrant, you're basically going to be pulling from those top quadrants or that top, um, that one year quadrant and going, okay, so in order to hit my one year goals, what do I need to do in the next one to three months to, to make that happen? Um, so flowing all the way down to this week, the this week quadrant, this is where you can and should pull tasks from to kind of manage yourself and go, okay, in order to do these things in the next one to three months, what do I need to do this week? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I could probably take my, my must do list and mm -hmm. divide it into these four quadrants. Yes, I like that. So you have a must-do list um, and versus you might have a list of like a some a someday list or just an ideas list. Yes, I have that too. <laughs> I'm a list person. Okay, good. Well, that'll help. So if, if that's the case, um, 
maybe you can kind of think out loud right now with between where you want to be in a year and what you need to be doing this week to, to make sure you're getting there. So in a year, I would like just to have more of a social media presence with healthy minds. Okay. Um, and not like a worldwide social media presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like locally in our community. Um, I would like just more interaction with our local businesses and community, but online. Um, so I guess it's kind of twofold, like doing more things in our, with our community businesses, but also having it be present online. So like beefing up our like Instagram, um, and Facebook, and then building our relationships with local businesses. Okay. So that would be like so I'd my kind of break those into two, maybe. So increase Instagram and Facebook followers. And if you can, I'd put a number on it, right? So whether it's a thousand or 1500 or whatever it might be, I'd, I'd be pretty specific about that one. And I would okay. make a separate goal for these community partnerships. And I'd be specific about that too. Is it, do you want to partner with a specific business to do a specific kind of event? Um, get, get a specific. Yes. And I already have two in mind, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, two businesses. Um, so one is my brother-in-law, which I know we, we will do that, but it's kind of one of those things where we're family and we're always talking about it, but then nothing ever comes to fruition, mm -hmm. which is probably on me. Like I just need to take the next steps. He's not going to like come to me and say, Hey, when are we going to do the mindfulness Thing, training, you know, like I just need to, to do it. Um, so that would be easy. And then the other one is a local yoga studio. Um, I have been going to some of their classes and a lot of the stuff that they do really coincides well with the same kind of therapy that we implement. It's just, they have a different delivery. Perfect. So um, what do you need to do this, this week to, um, to make these things happen? Uh, just stop by like a phone call or an email or stop Perfect. by. Exactly. So that, that is one of the action steps you'll put on your, your quadrant for this week. Okay. Um, and having that be so clear and specific, there's a real psychological benefit of just knowing that that's my task for the week. These are my, these are my big tasks this week. Yes. I'm going to do the other things. I'm going to check my email. I'm going to meet with my clinicians, et cetera. But, um, having a task that specific and just going, you know, reach out for coffee with this yoga studio. Perfect. Do when you do that, then you cross it off your list. There's also going to be, you know, there's, there's a, there's a reward that comes with that as well. So I think it's a perfect kind of task to do, um, to do now and also keep it, keep very connected to why you're doing it. It's, it's strategic at the same point at the same time. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's helpful. What about the social media, um, uh, goal. What, what would you do this week toward that goal? This week I would keep, so I've increased, um, the frequency of post. Um, I think maybe just keep posting once a day and increasing the hashtags that I use. I'm not really good at coming up with hashtags, okay. um, but making sure that they're appropriate hashtags that would kind of bring in the population that we're looking for. Okay. Um, and someone so, gave me a great tip, which is probably pretty obvious, but to put like our city, like hashtag Alexandria. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> which why I think I was doing like I did hashtag Alexandria, Virginia, but maybe just the city is more beneficial. Okay. So for breaking that one down, it would be maybe do some hashtag research this week. Maybe make a word document of hashtags you can use. Um, or more ideally, uh, do something on your phone, like a notepad full of hashtags that you can just copy and paste into your posts. And the other one would be to post two times per day. Okay. How does that sound to you? Yeah, this sounds reasonable and doable. So my other, my other question about this part, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit because this is what I would mm-hmm. do if we were working together is, is, is posting on Instagram and researching hashtags something that only you can do for your business? No. No, but... So I encourage my staff to do social media stuff, but here's the thing. Is they're independent contractors, so I only have so much control over them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I invite them to engage on our social media platforms, but I really can't, um, you know, I can't force them to do anything, mm-hmm. but like one of our therapists, she had a group over the weekend and she took some pictures and she shared them with me. So mm-hmm. I'm having people share content okay. that I can use. So I'm not the only one creating the content. Okay. Do you enjoy um, posting to Instagram? I do. Okay. I'm like, it's pushing me out of my comfort zone with doing videos and things. Like I'm not really comfortable with that, but I've been doing it lately. So yeah, I enjoy it. So, um, again, I know you're not asking me, should I keep posting on Instagram, but I have to, I have to speak up about it because the risk is a lot of therapists are focusing on things like Instagram, especially for a very small practice. And for a very small practice or a solo practice, it tends to have relatively low ROI. The reason being people aren't going to Instagram to find their next therapist. It doesn't mean they might, you know, they're not going to find you or follow, follow along and they like your feed, et cetera. The other part is I think it's okay that you're doing it right now. But as a group practice owner of 14 clinicians, I think it's the exact kind of task that should be off your list pretty soon. Um, I think it's okay. And it's a good thing for you to do a lot of tasks like this at least once so that you know how to hire for it, outsource it, train it, and supervise it. Right. Okay. So what I would think about for you, because it's, it's really, um, yes, it's something that you can do, but, but for instance, if, if it takes you the next few months to do hashtag research and figure out like the, you know, tool, actual online tools for figuring out hashtags, et cetera, versus paying a few hundred bucks a month for someone to manage your social media profiles and you supervising that right after you've established kind of the look and the feel, um, what kind of content we want, which colors are appropriate, um, et cetera. And then you can take that off of your plate and kind of move on to the next big, big item, the next big mission critical item for your practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Um, Cause I do understand like, you know, it's the return on investment is probably not that great. Um, but I've also gotten some positive feedback about it too. Not like a huge, you know, not from a, a huge amount of people, but, um, 
I enjoy it and I do think it's helpful for some people and I just want to see how it will grow. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it would be wonderful if, you know, I could outsource that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you might just think of this as your testing period where you are figuring out as a business owner, what do I want out of this platform? What's a reasonable number of followers to acquire? Let's say in in a given month, you might just look at your feed and go, cool, we got, you know, 200 new followers this month. So when I hire for this and we're talking about goals, I might say, look, we've been getting on average 200 followers a month. I'd love to get closer to 300. How can you as the Instagram expert that you're hiring help us get there? Um, Gotcha. And then you, you go from, you know, and this is the classic kind of working in the business versus on the business. So you go from doing it to supervising it and just making sure once a week that the posts are coming out, the hashtags are looking good, that the followers are increasing and not dropping off dramatically. Um, and it's, it's also going to be an exercise for you in stepping back and kind of relinquishing control over something in the business, which is very yes. hard for most of us. So <laughs> just going to name that. Um, we've got about five minutes left, so I want to get in as much as we can. Um, okay. What's your, what's your other big challenge or what's the, what's maybe one thing that you would regret not, um, bringing up today? Um, hmm. another big challenge. Gosh, um, I think I'm like, my nature is I'm just like, I'm a problem solver all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's just part of being an entrepreneur is that's, that's why we are entrepreneurs is because we want to solve problems. Um, but sometimes I think I like need to do more listening that when some just put my therapy, my therapist hat back on Mm -hmm. that when my staff is coming to me with something. I don't necessarily have to like solve it right then. Um, I need to work on like listening more and like slowing down. Um, and I don't know, cause I've noticed that recently that like if someone's coming to me, I have an answer really quickly and, and realizing that, yeah, I might have an answer, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's like the only answer. Yeah. That's, I think that's great that you are realizing that and also thinking about, um, I, I would always want you to be thinking of how would this business keep running if I weren't there and, and not being there could mean for a week or two weeks, or let's say you take a month off in the summer or whatever it is. Um, I want you to think about as a group practice owner, especially in these early stages of, of owning this practice what are the ways in which I'm obligating myself into all the nitty gritty to where I become what's called a bottleneck in the business, right? So let's mm-hmm. say uh, one of your clinicians has an issue with billing and you are the only person they can go to or they say, oh, I need you to refund this client. And you say, okay, great, I can do this. I can, I can hop on simple practice or whatever and make the refund happen. Great, I did that. Put the fire out. Cool, on to the next one. Um, we, Because we also have to be intentional about solving others, solving our staff problems just instantaneously. Um, same thing that we, you know, if, if we are doing that with our therapy clients, just simply solving their problems or saying, yes, I think you should break up with your boyfriend. Um, we know that fosters dependence. 
um, right. does not foster a, a group of independent um, autonomous clinicians that still have your support for the big picture stuff and the support as from you as the leader of their team but also does not obligate you into all these details and all these smaller problems that are really just putting out fires. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, it's great that you have that awareness. It's going to be a long kind of practice and a long process of learning how to not jump in and solve people's problems right away. Um, and the, the last thing I would say is to, at some point, practice the art of, um, uh, of kind of ignoring in a way. So an example might be, if a clinician sends that email about needing to refund a client and you know that they actually have access to it or that you know that they should go to your admin for that, um, maybe don't respond to that email right away. Maybe yeah. don't respond until yeah. the next day because pro- likelihood it is that they will often solve problems themselves if you give them the space to do so. Um, so def- definitely be thinking about that and as you you know, grow more and more into this, this, this position as, as practice owner. Yes. That is very helpful. Um, just to give a really helpful reminder, just give people the space and chance to do, to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's good too, that they are independent contractors because my lawyer has embedded in my head (laughs) that I can't do everything. Too much control. (laughs) Yeah. I really do pull back, um, all the time. Um, so there's a natural boundary in place. So that is very helpful, but I, I am, um, I, like I do reply to emails really quickly. So I'm so glad that you said that now I'll be more mindful to not be so quick. (laughs) So I would almost, I'm tempted to put that on your action steps for today. And as we wrap up, um, that'd be, it also just be a good kind of exercise or experiment for you to be doing and saying, maybe I'm just going to check my email twice a day. Or maybe when I get emails like that, oh I'm going to respond. John, you would think I'm crazy. Day. I check it like every five minutes. Well, you are like everyone. <laughs> everyone checks it every five minutes. And we are tied to it because it feels like that's the important place to be for our work. And what I want to tell you is that especially with this, your four quadrants, so pr- try this. Do me a favor and try this even just for the rest of this week. Finish your four quadrants today right after this call. When you log into work for the morning, when you when you step into the office or whatever, look at your four quadrants, not your email, right? When you log out for the day, look at your four quadrants, not your email, because this is where the deep work happens in practice building, and this is what is going to eventually, um, it's just going to really facilitate you as business owner and not just firefighter. Okay. Um, so reducing your reliance on email and also knowing there's going to be some anxiety that produces for you and in, in thinking, what if someone needs me? What if I've missed an email? You know, what if something's really going wrong? Well, that's another conversation, right? Because in reality, if there's yeah. something that's really wrong, your, your staff should have other ways of reaching you. Like if there's a true something that really needs your attention right now, email is not the appropriate form for that anyway. No, they all have my cell phone, so that's that's taken care of, yeah. So that's once I'd love to see you try that out um, with email and kind of reducing the time that you spend on email. And I think you're going to feel really good about spending less time there. It's just, it's going to improve your your kind of quality of life at work, so to speak. Um, So here are your action steps, right? So as we wrap up, finish your four quadrants. We've got that one. The second one is kind of twofold. I want you to do a time study of yourself. So I want you to effectively look at your calendar 
Um, and it might just be, you might use this week as an example and look at, okay, w- where is all my time going? So I've got eight or 10 hours that are, that are clinical hours. In all those other gaps, where am I spending my time? And I want you to just kind of create a, a calendar, even just take a screenshot of your calendar, but actually kind of plot out what you've actually done during this time. So maybe 30 minutes on Instagram, 30 minutes on email, you know, an hour going to pick up supplies, whatever it might be. But I want you to look at where all your time is going. From there, I want you to create your job description. Um, I want you to create your job description out of the things that, first of all, only you can do and the things that you really want to do for the business. And again, if Instagram is one of them, great, keep it. If you're good at it, you enjoy it, right? Then then you, I think you can keep that on your plate if you want. It's not my favorite thing to be on there, but you know, again, if you're intentional about it and you go, yeah, this is one thing I like to do for the business. I enjoy it. It's creative. I like, you know, putting the images together, then great. But I think because your role is different now and it's always going to be evolving, write out your job description as if you were kind of hiring for the position, as if you were hiring yourself, right? Um, This is going to help you just become a better manager of yourself. And again, that is going to go so far for you in the grand scheme of um, your career and of owning this practice. Um, keep, Keep in mind, so for folks listening, this was very much kind of an accelerated session today. We packed a lot into like getting to know you, understanding your business, the purchasing process. Um, and then we're, we're packing a lot in here toward the end. So certainly if, um, if, if you are working with me, it doesn't have to feel, uh, you know, so rushed or kind of compact, but I do want to make sure at the end of every session, you have a very clear to do list, um, and set of action steps from, from the session. Um, and we'll, we would check in about these in our next session. So we'd sit down, talk about your wins, and then we'd kind of briefly ask, so did you do the time study, how are your four quadrants looking? Um, and certainly having that accountability goes a really long way as well. So, um, Alicia, Thank you for being on the show and being um, being our guinea pig. You were very brave to do it. <laughs> of course. Thank you scary. so much for having me. No, not scary at all. I really, I loved it. I, like I told you, I'm a big risk taker. So it was fun. <laughs> I think you and I would get along well in that regard. Um, yeah. I understand. And we part. have our Virginia connection. Yeah. So it's fun to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, keep me posted on how things are going. Um, uh, maybe even down the road, we could do like a follow up um, uh, podcast episode or something to see like where you're at now in three months or six months, like, or something like that. So keep me posted on, on how things are going. And uh, I'd love, love to have you back on again to check in. I would love to do that and hold me accountable. So thank you so much. (laughs) Sounds good. And again, this is Alicia um, Barant. Yep, Alicia Barant. And where can people find you, Alicia? Um, So our website is healthyminds-therapy.com. And we're also on Facebook at Healthy Minds Therapy and on Instagram at Healthy Minds Therapy. Perfect. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Alicia, thanks again for being here. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, do me a big favor and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Also, head on over to privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash guide to download the free guide on how to write web copy that converts. Again, that's privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash guide. All right. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.